Now, I don't know about you guys, but COVID, you know, this whole COVID-19 series was, you know, difficult for me. And one of the reasons is I'm a person that, who is at risk. You know, I have type 2 diabetes. I have high blood pressure. I have thyroid issues. And, and I'm getting close to that age where they, just by age, you're, you know, at high risk. And so I've really been doing, not doing a whole lot and just staying at home and, you know, going through all of the emotions of that, where there are times when I get frustrated, times when uh, I, I get depressed, times that I get bored. And, you know, even though I'm reading scripture and enjoying that, you know, there are times when I say, oh, you know, God, you know, when's this going to end? But because I'm at high risk, you know, I see my doctor at least three times a year. And praise God, my A1C, which measures diabetes, was good the last time I visited. And all of my numbers are good. And I thank God for that because, you know, the, uh, the um, illnesses that I have, you really don't know that you have them. They call high blood pressure the silent killer. Why? Because you don't know you have high blood pressure unless it's too late. If you could feel it, then it's too late. And like diabetes, you know, you say, I'm tired. I'm going to the bathroom a little bit more or whatnot. I'm just, and you could also write that off. Well, you know what? I'm just getting older. This is what happens when you get older. And so I have to go to the doctor to get tested, to uh, have my doctor examine me to make sure that I'm healthy. But, you know, in the same way, we have to do that spiritually, that we have to constantly check ourselves to see how we're doing spiritually. And because um, the reason we have to do this is there's a term called cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. And basically what cognitive bias is, it refers to a system, systematic error in our thinking process by we essentially make a mental shortcut which allows us to make conclusions without extensive research, thought, or judgment. And basically what that is, it's a way that, that we um, th- uh, process information in a way that it kind of, we could take a shortcut. So we don't have to do a lot of research. We don't have to do a lot of thinking. But then it just kind of shapes the way that we think about things. And in this cognitive bias, there's this um, bias called the Dunning and Kruger effect. The Dunning and Kruger effect. And this is when people who believe that they are smarter and more capable than they really are. For example, they can't real recognize their own incompetence. And sometimes you might see this in the workplace, right? Where you might have a manager or people that think that they are more competent or more skilled than they really are. But you know what? That's the same thing with our spirituality. Where a lot of times we have this we see this Dunning-Kruger effect where we think we're more spiritual than we really are. We think we are more competent spiritually than we really are. And in this, this is the reason why we need to constantly examine ourselves. Because we do have this cognitive bias, right? And this is why, um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, chapter 13, verse 5. And the Apostle Paul says this, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now, the um, Corinthian church, they were being influenced by some um, false apostles who were making these evil um, insinuations about the Apostle Paul, and they demanded proof of his apostleship. 
You know, they said, well, we don't know this guy. He's a real disciple, a apostle. We seek proof. So what the apostle Paul says, he turns the tables on them and goes, well, you're asking proof that I'm an apostle. Well, you guys need to examine your faith and yourselves also. But we also see this in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I love this. Because of we have this cognitive bias, the psalmist is asking God to make any sort of sin aware in his or her life. Why? Because there are a lot of times we think we're better than we are. And there are sins that we're committing that we probably don't even know or we don't think we're committing. So he's asking God to reveal this to us so that would lead us to repentance and that will lead us to um, confession. And this is where, this was just a lead in until where we're going here. And for the next five weeks, we're going to be studying the book of First John. And I think it's a great follow-up to our series on uh, when we talked about, you know, religious and, pol- and politics and how we should act as believers in this politically charged world. And so we're going to take a look today at First John chapter 1. But the main point here of the sermon as Jesus came so we might live life abundantly. Okay, Jesus came so we might live life abundantly. Not just exist, but to live life abundantly. Live healthy and vibrant spiritual lives. Now, as you're listening to the sermon, I want you to think about your own spiritual life. Is your own spiritual life, your experience with Jesus, is it vibrant? Is it healthy? Or or are you just kind of existing? Or maybe you don't know. And today we're going to take a look at, throughout the um, whole book of John, we're going to be taking a look at uh, different criteria in which you could examine your spiritual life to kind of see where you are, to see where you're doing good, praise God, and to see where maybe uh, work needs to be done. Okay? And so we're going to start with verse John, First John verse, chapter 1, verse 1. And this is what the Apostle John says. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim it to you, the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And see, to John, Jesus was life. Jesus was life. Jesus was eternal life. And when you think of eternal life, he's not just talking about having a wonderful life, living in heaven forever and ever and ever. And I know a lot of people think that's what eternal life is. It starts when we die and we just, you know, enjoy heaven for all eternity. And that's part of it. But also experiencing eternal life is for the here and now. It's the quality of life that is experienced when we are in relationship with Jesus. Now, um, what John is saying here is not only did we hear these things, I'm not just telling you about it, but I'm, t- I'm telling you about the significance of it. And as you could see, when John was describing it, he was telling his readers that I lived this. This is how I lived my life. 
This is how I lived out my faith. That I, I, I heard about it. I touched it. I felt it. And he was just given as an example how we are to live our life. He lived a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that could be seen, touched, and experienced. But how many times in our lives, if we would say, if we were to take a look at this and we would describe our spiritual life, it would go something like that. This, that which I heard, that which I read about, and that which I studied. And that is the extent of our spiritual life. It's all about knowing facts about Jesus. We study about Jesus. You come to service, you hear stories about Jesus. You hear how Jesus has touched the lives of other people. But you're not living it yourself. You're just living it vicariously through other people. And because John was living a vibrant spiritual life, he proclaimed it. He proclaimed it. He said, we proclaim to you that we have seen and heard what we have seen and heard, so you may also have fellowship with us, and fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So when you are living a vibrant spiritual life, you are proclaiming this to the world. However, if your spiritual life is, consists of that which you heard, that what you read about, and that what you just study, there's a good chance you're really not proclaiming that, you know, to other people. It's only when you're living this vibrant life that you start proclaiming Jesus to the world. And this is why, and I've done this in my times too, when, you know, I'm not walking with the Lord, or when my spiritual life is flat, I'm really not proclaiming Jesus because I don't really see Jesus working in my life. But, but when my uh, spiritual health is vibrant, when I have a healthy relationship with Jesus Christ, I am proclaiming Him to the rest of the world. But he's doing this, why? So that you could have fellowship with him and so that they could have fellowship with the Father. So this gives us a clue that he's talking to Christians here. He's talking to us. So when you think about fellowship, what do you think about? Well, when you think about fellowship, we think about social get-togethers, right? Fellowship, we have fellowship groups. And what are fellowship groups? They're just uh, groups of individuals that get together, and we have a good social time together. Or you might think about Connect Cafe, where we get together afterwards, after service, to have donuts, coffee, or salads, or whatnot, and eat, right? And have a social time. And you might think, well, that's what fellowship is. And, and that's only a small, small part of what John was talking about here, koinonia, a fellowship, right? When the word uh, rendered fellowship or koinonia signifies a mutual participation in a common cause or shared life. Once again, the Greek word koinonia or what John referred here signifies a mutual participation in a common cause or shared life. And that's important. It's not just having donuts and coffee. It's participation in a common cause. This is why when, you know, I, uh, one of my favorite trilogies is The Lord of the Rings, 
right? And we were talking about that here last week, and some people have never seen that, which is like, what? How could you not see that? But, you know, the first movie was The Fellowship of the Ring. And when I first heard that, I go, Fellowship of the Ring? I go, that's an interesting title, right? Because I thought, what are they just going to have, a social time? Get together where you're going to have human, elves, and dwarves just get together and have a good social time? But when you think about it, the reason they called it the Fellowship of the Ring, because you had a group of humans, you had a dwarf, you had an elf and hobbits. They all came together to what? To participate in a cause, which was to destroy the Ring of Power. And so when you talk about fellowship here, we're talking about we are all participating in a cause. And what's our cause? To have coffee and donuts? To have social time? No. To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our cause. And this is why fellowship is so important. And it also um, it means to have a mutual life and love of those who are in the spirit. But not only with each other, but with God himself. And he goes on to say, and we write this to make our joy complete. When you have a time of fellowship... When people are gathered, as Peter said, in unity for a common cause to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see lives saved, what? It brings about joy. Not only personal joy, but joy to the church. I mean, when Marco gives, Pastor Marco gives his announcement, do you sense a, a sense of joy when he gives announcements? Why? Because we as a church are unified in fellowshipping, which means we are participating in a common cause. This is why there's joy in Mako's life when he shares with uh, the announcements. And he goes on to say, okay, now let's talk about God. In verse 5, in this message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, first of all, the light represents the truth of God as embodied in his word. That everything that God says in his word is true. And when we're living in a time where everything is just so, where truth is so subjective right now, it's good to know that the Bible says that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. That God's word is true. Everything he said is true. Scripture also links light with virtue and moral conduct. And everything God says is true, but also everything that God does is righteous. And that gives us hope that there is no wickedness in God. There is no spite. There is no hate. You know, the Greek gods were spiteful gods, right? You know, you know, you could see them as, if you didn't worship them, they would be spiteful to you and punish you. And, but God is not a spiteful God. There is no darkness in him. There is no sin. And that's an important concept to know. Because he said, God is light. Then he's saying, if we are in fellowship with God, this who is light, then light is important. And he goes on to explain that. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to have a common cause with God and sharing a mutual love 
with God. And we do not walk in the light. If we walk in darkness, we are not living out the truth. It is impossible. It cannot happen to have fellowship with God while we are still walking in darkness, which is a sign that there is something amiss about our spiritual health. If we are walking in darkness, whether you know it or you're doing it, and, you're, and you know it, it's wrong, but you're still doing it, right? But he, he continues, but... He contrasts this, if we walk in the light as he is light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay, once again, if we walk in the light because God is light, then we have fellowship, right? So one of the ways we know that our spiritual health, we're doing well, is if we're walking in the light. And basically walking in the light is just a, a metaphor saying that we are living our life the way that God would want us to live our life. And, but he goes on, he says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth are not, is not in us. Now, there were some in that John was addressing. There were some believers who believed that since Jesus Christ came and died for their sins and that they were saved, that they no longer sinned, right? And they said, you know, I could do whatever I want. I'm saved. You know, I've been forgiven. You know, God sees um, God's right, Christ's righteousness in us. Therefore, I don't sin. And John was dismissing this belief. And there are ways when we take that attitude. Well, we may not say it like that, but we act as if though we do not sin. And this is a good example of this. So turn with me to Luke 18, verse 9. And he was talking to the religious leaders. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders here. And he was saying to some, and he told the stories, to some who were confident in their own righteousness, excuse me, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he's talking to those who are self-righteous. He said, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Pharisee was, a Pharisee was a Jewish religious leader. And they were very self-righteous. And they tended to look down on people whom they could uh, considered sinners. But there was also a tax collector, tax collector. And tax collectors were considered one of the most immoral people that were living on the face of the earth. The Jews absolutely despised them because they felt that they were immoral. They felt that they were sinners. They had nothing to do with tax collectors. So we had, Jesus tells a story of these two individuals that came to the temple. And he goes on. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. So here we see this tax collector comes to pray, and rather than confessing his sin, he praises God and thanks God that he is not a sinner, that he is not like that guy over there, a tax collector. Why? Because I give... I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. 
I'm not a sinner because look what I do. Not like that guy over there. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, how many times do we act like that Pharisee? You know, and we could do this because why? We have that um, cognitive bias where sometimes we just think that we are better than we really are. We think that we are better than other people or who are doing this and that. And we feel that we don't sin because we compartmentalize sin. Because in one compartment, there's this category of really bad sins, really bad sins. They could be like murder, you know, stealing, you know, sexual sins, you know, getting drunk. But, you know, we all have that um, compartment, right? Well, we have a list of sins that we think that are really bad. But usually, those are the sin we put sins in there that we don't struggle with, right? Because when we put sins in that box, that are sins like, oh, those are sins other people do, but not me. So that's in one box. But in the other box, uh, we compartmentalize sins that, yeah, we know that they're bad, but they're really not that bad. You know, gossip, pride, materialism, idol worship. Idol worship is just putting anything that you love before the love of God, which could be your career, it could be your school, it could be your relationships, your family, whatever you put before the love of those things come before the love of God. Or it could be not showing God's love or refusing to forgive somebody. We put those sins in another category. We say, you know what? They're not that bad. And so, but if I committed one of the big sins, definitely I'll ask for forgiveness. But a lot of times with these sins, we kind of just let them go. And this happened to me last night. Because it was the bottom of the ninth. There were two outs. We, we had the Tampa Bay at bay. We were about to close the door, right? And then something happened, and it all fell apart. And I found myself screaming and yelling at the TV. I was frustrated. I was angry, and I was saying, are you serious? And I kept on going on this tirade. I didn't cuss. I didn't cuss. Because that's in that big box. That's in the big box. I didn't cuss. But it's really funny that I was going on and on and on. And I really didn't think of it until I got this text that said, Did you mean to FaceTime me? And I go, What? And I didn't realize that when I said, When are you serious? Guess what my iPhone thought? Hey, Siri. And it um, FaceTimed somebody. Right? And I'm going, oh no, did they hear what I was saying? And like I said, I didn't even think I was doing anything wrong until, did you mean to Facebook time me? But the beautiful, oh, I thank God. This person said, "Um, I just wanted to let you know because who is this? So thank goodness he didn't open up that 
he didn't FaceTime because he didn't know who it was, so he just let it go. But he just wanted to confirm it. I was going, thank you, Lord. But once again, here I'm ranting and raving. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong. And then I'm doing this sermon, and, you know, God convicted me. That said, David, had you FaceTimed somebody, do you, what do you think that way they would have thought? Right? And in the meantime, I was just thinking, well, this is competition. You know, all fans get angry. Right? Why? Cognitive bias. I put that um, anger and tirade in this other compartmentalized. Well, it's not bad. Everybody does it. We all do it. But you know, it's that second category. It's where we compartmentalize these sins that we don't think are that bad, that we don't confess. They cause the most harm to your spiritual health. Not the big sins. No. It's these little ones that we don't know what we're doing or we don't think that they're bad. Everybody's doing it. We don't confess them. Those are the sins that have the most harm, cause the most harm to our spiritual life. So what do we do about this? Well, confession restores our spiritual health. Confession restores our spiritual health. Confession is the chicken soup of our soul. I don't know why, but when I was growing up, whenever I was sick, my mom always gave me chicken soup. And I go, ooh, does this make you better? I don't know, just eat it. Chicken soup and 7-Up. I don't know why. Whenever I got sick and had a stubborn problem, it was chicken soup and 7-Up. But John goes on to say in First John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, Leah, uh, could you keep this verse up there when I talk? Could you keep this verse up there when I talk? Because I want all of us to look at that. But I want you to take a look at two words, faithful and just, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just. Now, you would think that it would be, make more sense if John used the words, but since he was loving and forgiving, or that he was merciful or patient, but he uses the word faithful and just. And you could come back again there. Now, faithful means that God can be trusted and will carry out the second part of that condition that says, if we confess our sins. That's the first part of our condition. The second part is that he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So he is faithful and he will carry out that part, his bargain of that condition. And then he uses the word just, and that was to render each his due or passing on a just judgment to others. Because Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for the penalty of our sins, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, you become a child of God. But as a result of, the ch- of becoming a child of God, the penalty for your sin has been paid. And since the penalty for our sins was paid by Jesus, and he relieved us from that penalty, cleansing, uh, forgiving us for our sin, and cleansing us and not holding us our sins against us is a just and righteous act rendered to us by God, right? A lot of times when we look at that, we think of like in a mor- something immoral as um, 
You know, doing, you know, some of these murdering, stealing, and so forth. But what does God say here? That God is a just God. And because God is a just God, in his justice, he has already rendered us not guilty. Why? Because of the death of Jesus Christ. That his blood forgave us. And since God said we were not guilty, it would be immoral or unjust if God did not forgive us. And God is a just act. So his forgiveness in this instance is an act of God's justice. And that's huge. That's huge. Because God, John said, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. And if there is no darkness, there is no unrighteousness. There is no injustice in God. That God is a just God 100%. And when he made a promise to forgive us all of our sins, being just, he's going to carry that out if we confess our sins. Doesn't mean that um, if we don't confess our sins, we're not forgiven? Of course not. Okay? Because when Jesus died on the cross, he, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven. God forgave our sin nature and every sin that comes out of our sin nature. So the question you might ask is, well, if God's forgiven us our sin, you know, why do we need to confess it? God's already forgiven for it. Confession of sin is a sign that you are walking in the light. If you do not confess your sin, if you, don't, if you have this uh, category two sins where you don't think that are that bad and that, you know what, I don't need to confess them because they're little sins, they're little sins, then there is a serious problem with our spiritual health. And that's one of the signs we need to check. Are we confessing our sins? Not just the big ones, not just the times when we get caught, but we are we confessing our sin? Why? Because sin destroys our fellowship with God. And John was saying that the goal is for us to have fellowship with God. But how many times in your relationship with people, whether it's your spouse, your friend, coworkers, or you know, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatnot, where you know somebody sinned against you, and what does that cause? It causes a fracture in that relationship. You know, when you know, my son Michael sins against me and doesn't apologize, that causes a fracture in our relationship. It doesn't mean that he's no longer my son, because he'll always be my son. But it causes that tension in that relationship. It affects how we experience this eternal life, right? And it is only when we confess our sin that what? that we are reconciled to God, and that fellowship is restored. Your position of Christ never changes. You know, we sang that song, I'm a child of God, and I love that song, and you will always be a child of God, and nothing you could do could change that. However, if we walk in the darkness, if we do not confess our sins, we break that fellowship that we have with God. And it's through confessing of our faith that that fellowship is restored. And we experience that vitality and spiritual health from God. And this is what I love about Scripture. Because how many times have we just blown it? But all it takes 
It's confessing it. And it's not just saying, I'm just sorry and moving on. Confessing it with the um, desire to repent from it through God's power. Even though you may keep falling and making mistakes. And he goes on and he says, If we claim that we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. You know, if we live with this cognitive bias, if we have the second category of sins, that are the little sins that we really don't pay attention to, and we act as if, you know, we're really not sinning, what are we doing? We're calling God a liar. We're calling God a liar. That's why it's so important for us to confess. Because confession restores our spiritual health. And one way that we know that maybe our vital signs aren't doing well is if we don't confess daily all of our sins. So what's our our weekly challenge this week? Our weekly challenge is this. I want us to read 1 John 1, 1 through 10 every single day. It's not a lot, but don't just read it and just check it off. Just really read it. And think about what it means to have a just God forgive you. That he's doing it out of justice and righteousness. That he will never, ever go back on his uh, deal. And I want you to pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24 daily. I don't want you to read it. I want you to pray it. Say it as your prayer. And ask God to reveal any sins in our lives, in your life, in my life, that, number one, we don't know, that we're not aware of, or maybe that are in that little box that we don't think are that bad. And believe me, when you pray Psalm 139, 23 through 24, God will bring these things up to you. Then I'd like you to um, confess your sins daily, both big and small, and ask God for the strength to repent from them. Ask God for the strength to repent from them. But then after you do, afterwards, live your life as a fully forgiven child of God. Don't let those things weigh you down because God forgave you. And if you don't believe that God has forgiven you, then you are calling God a liar. It's plain right here. God made a promise. If you confess your sins, he's going to forgive you and he's going to restore that relationship. Let's pray. Worship team, please come forward. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you understand the human condition better than we could ever understand it. And Father, that you know that even though that we are your children, We do have a cognitive bias where we think we're better than we really are. Sometimes we think we're the Pharisee where we look at others around us and we compare ourselves to the sins that other people are doing. And we look at them and say, you know what, I'm not as bad as they are. But Father, every sin, every sin, both large and small, whether we're the only one doing it or everybody's doing it, affects our relationship with you. Because you hate sin. And in you, there is no darkness. 
you cannot stand or tolerate to be in the presence of sin. But thank you so much that you found a way to restore us through number one, by sending your son Jesus Christ into this earth, to this earth to die for us. That if we believe in the shed blood of your son Jesus Christ, that through that our sins are forgiven. But also, Father, thank you that all we have to do is confess our sins to receive your forgiveness and restore our relationship with you. So right now, if you're listening, I'd like you to take a few moments while, you know, Amy's just playing on a keyboard, to think about your spiritual health, to think about maybe those sins that you put in that second box that you don't think are that bad, or at least bad enough to confess them. And to ask and to confess those sins to God and ask for forgiveness. Father God, I thank you that you are a just and righteous God. And that if you say you will forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unfairness, Righteousness, that is a just and righteous act on your part. And you must do it because you are a just God. So, Father, we also ask for your forgiveness when we come to you and feel that you cannot forgive us of our sins because of maybe the shame or guilt that we feel. But by having that attitude, we are calling you a liar. And, Father, we ask for your forgiveness. But for those of us, Father, who have confessed our sins, Father, may that be a weight that's taken from us. May we live our life forgetting about that, knowing that we have been forgiven, and to live as fully forgiven children of God that are living in fellowship with you, participating in a common purpose. And, Father, I pray that that sin of ours does not prevent us from being in fellowship with you, from experiencing that common purpose of making disciples of all nations. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your faithfulness, your justice, and your righteousness in regards to our sin. In your son's name, I pray. Amen.